Plundergrounds, Plundergrounds, welcome back to a brand new show. Ray's gonna take you where you didn't know you wanted to go. Fantasy and dungeon delve, science fiction, watch yourselves. Hi everybody, I'm Ray Otis, and I'm sneaking in an extra Plundergrounds this week because I got a backlog of topics that I want to talk about. First up is a call-in from Rob C., and I have to apologize because I got Rob C. of the Down in a Heap podcast, which I love, mixed up with Frostoff of the Thought Eater podcast, which I also enjoy. Um, they have both similar mellow kind of deep tones, and uh, I don't know how I got them mixed up, but I did. Rob C. is the one that inspired the Revolt on Antares episode and the one that wanted to hear about it, and so here he is talking about that one. Hey, Ray, it's Rob from Down in a Heap podcast. Thanks for the recent episode on Revolt on Antares. I found myself paging through my copy of it as you were going through it and looking at the counters and the map and everything and remembering, yeah, just how colorful and flavorful this game is. And I think you described it really well. It, and the, the art is really cool. It's, uh, it's just a cool little game that I think would turn into an outstanding setting for a sci-fi kind of sword and planet game and yeah cosmic spells and solar solar blades and cosmic spells that that would be uh, a fun system i think to use it for and i think you overlooked something though i think maybe your wife just has some secret singular power of teleportation that only works on potato peelers see ya hey ray it's rob from down in a heap again with more revolting thoughts about and Terry's. One aspect of that game and Divine Ride I love is the replay value. There's so many variables involved that no game plays the same way. And you can use both of those games, I think, if you're using them for an adventure game setting, as um, a background or current events. If you just if you play a game and have that as the, the recent history of the game or what's going on uh, in the game itself in the, on a macro level, and as far as individual scenarios, I think if the players were operating for one of the houses, a mission they could do is go to try and sabotage another house's uh, artifact or something, like the Devastator or the Big Cannon. You could do like a fantasy or sci-fi Guns of Navarone style thing. So thanks. Bye. Oh, I'm sure you're right, Rob. My wife has lots of secret superpowers that she doesn't share with me. That is the only way to explain half of what goes on in my house. <laughs> uh, good point about the replayability. And thanks for pushing me to do that episode and kind of backing me on Revolt on Antares. I think it's a really overlooked game for a lot of reasons. Uh, the flavor being number one. Number two, it's got some really interesting design features. Even though the underlying combat and uh, hex encounter kind of system is pretty mundane or run-of-the-mill um, for a lot of the games at that time. The uh, scenario structure, as you pointed out, is really cool um, in that it gives you multiple ways to play the game. Almost too many choices. Maybe that's... I don't know. I, I keep wanting to pick at this game. I think it's because my experience with it wasn't all that great. Uh, maybe it didn't live up to the promise of the flavor. And maybe that's why it'd be better as a role-playing game. But yeah, thanks for your thoughts on that. Hey, Ray! Congratulations on 50 episodes, man. I'm stoked for you. I'm glad you decided to stick at it. 
I'm always happy to see it when Plunderground, uh, Plundergrounds pops up on my feed. What can I say? A constant source of inspiration for me. You're really imaginative and, you know, the episodes are fun and thought-provoking. I just love it, man, and excellent. Keep up the good work, mate. And, and talking of inspiring, you mentioned um, DM Logbooks of Hankering Fernell. Yeah, check him out on YouTube. I know you're not a big one for watching YouTube, but he does a couple of walkthroughs of his DM journals on there. And um, they were so, so inspiring. Bit like Plundergrounds. Catch you later, mate. All the best. Aw, shucks, man. Thanks. I appreciate those kind words. And I will definitely go check out those YouTube videos and link them in the show notes. I know a lot of people are interested in how GMs keep their notebooks because uh, I often think the trick of being a GM is just to kind of always have your mind turned on to what you could use, right? Uh, so you just walk through your day and as things occur to you, you hear bits of news stories, um, hear jokes from friends, um, you see things you know, visually that strike you. They're just a bunch of different things that you can kind of catalog and uh, store and how you store those for easy retrieval is really important. Uh, It makes me think, I don't know if you listen to the Larry Elmore uh, podcast or a recording that I put out there, but he mentions that his favorite painting started with seeing a gray sky with a little blear of uh, yellow in it. And when you see that painting, you immediately see what he was talking about, but it's not the first thing you would focus on in the painting. It's not the story that the painting tells, but it is a really significant little piece of it. And those little bits of realism or real life that creep into um, what we do at the table as GMs and as players are really important. So, yeah, I'll definitely link those uh, videos. And uh, if anybody out there uses Evernote or a bullet journal or some other method to keep notes, I'd love to hear about that. Maybe we'll string together a whole bunch of call-ins as a podcast on taking GM notes. All right, Arfid here. Just wanted to ring in and congratulate you on your 50 episodes. Um, I'm sure with all your other podcasts, you've done many more than that, but um, it's good that Plundergrounds has reached out. I've listened to every minute and uh, enjoyed every minute of it, so keep up the good work there. Uh, Also wanted to just touch on where you were talking about using board game resources from games for your role-playing. I'm a big board game fan. There's loads of examples I can think of. But um, off the top of my head, if you're talking about campaign maps, I was thinking War of the Ring would be a great one for Lord of the Rings. You've got a good map of Middle-earth there. Um, You've got world sort of games like Risk, uh, Pandemic, games like that, which are just sort of maps of the world. Um, You could use those. And then uh, games like you were describing, um, the Car Wars, things like that. Um, There's lots of options of those. Part two here. Um, yeah, we were saying about the car wars and there was a Games Workshop Dark Future which again had sort of bits of roads that you could play out a Mad Max type game. Um, lots of other games that I'd like to uh, well, maybe hear more about and uh, get involved in. But I also um, was liking the talk about the encounter tables. Um, I'm not really good at using encounter tables. I always roll a, an encounter table and think, oh, I don't really want that option. So I'm going to have to make up more of my own and customise them so I would actually use them more and uh, get my GM sort of brain going and 
just go with whatever is rolled. That's my hard hard thing for me to do. But it was a game that did both. It was Advanced Hero Quest, where you used to roll to see what room you encountered or what bit of corridor, or if you found some stairs and monsters. So worth having a look at. Keep it up. Right on, thank you, Darren. Uh, always good to hear from you, and I appreciate that you've listened to all 50. My goodness, that must be 25 to 30 hours of your life that you'll never get back. So <laughs> glad you enjoyed it. Um, yeah, board games. There's got to be a ton of other boards out there that really inspire us. Uh, I'm thinking of one. I can't think of the name of the game. Uh, it's a fairly recent game. Small World, that's what it's called. Uh, it's kind of a risk-like game, but a little more tongue-in-cheek with uh, rotating fantasy armies. You play more than one army during your time in the game. Uh, you basically play out uh, civilizations rise and fall, um, or an, uh, you know, I guess uh, not civilization, but a, a folk. You know, like like uh, kobolds with uh, uh, you ma- you mix and match races with um, different abilities. So you might have. Uh, kobolds that have uh, flying, mechanical flying and, and have invented, uh, you know, like gliders and stuff. At any rate, uh, you, you play out the rise and fall of them in terms of their ability to grab territory. And when they look like they're starting to peter out, then you turn them into um, a declining race and you pick a new one. But uh, the map on that is colorful and kind of evocative and would be kind of interesting as a game board for your campaign to kind of uh, locate your your party and their strongholds and then move out from there. That's just one I can think of. Uh, There's many, many examples. Uh, I'm going to be on the lookout for those. I may have to go through my gaming closet and find some more examples of games that we could turn into a role-playing game. And I want you to do the same. So call in if you find one. Uh, Appreciate all your kind words. And yeah, more thoughts on Encounter Tables too, uh, hopefully in the near future. I think with that, I've cleared all my call-ins, and I'm ready to hit the main topic. Hey, everybody. I thought I'd try something I haven't done on the podcast before, an unboxing. I bought a copy of Axe Bane's Deck of Many Things through Game Crafters. I'm looking at the outside of the box right now. Um, It's just a piece of, you know, waxed cardboard, uh, about the size of a, uh, you might get a magic deck, you know, it's a little thicker than a typical, um, 52 card deck box, and that's probably not great, because, uh, I don't know if you can hear this, let me wiggle it, there's a lot of empty room in this box, now, maybe that's a good thing, I can throw dice in there or something later if I need dice, but, um, it, it feels like the box is just some sort of standard size from Game Crafters, and it's bigger than it needs to be for the deck. The outside has a background of kind of mottled, like, taupe-ish, beige. Um, and then uh, there's a logo on the front that's a, uh, a dungeon door uh, with the, the um, logo for Axe Bane's Deck of Many Dungeons, or the text Axe Bane's Deck of Many Dungeons. And on the back it says... Packed with random tables and illustrated in full color, this deck of 54 cards can generate over 1 million different dungeons. 1 million dungeons, as Dr. Evil would say. 
Designed to be the ultimate pocket game master's tool. Oh, by the way, it didn't say that on the back of the, the box. I, I added that. Designed to be the ultimate pocket game master's tool, these cards can help you make the most of your prep time. You can also use them on the fly during your next RPG session when your players decide to go in a completely different direction than you anticipated. For use with most fantasy RPGs and especially well suited to the 5th edition of the most popular role playing game compatible with 5e well it's got that going for it doesn't it <laughs> hope you can detect a sarcasm there uh and then uh copyright 2017 daniel f walt hall all right let's uh, open this up and take take a look inside okay nothing in the box but cards and the cards aren't shrink wrapped so they're just loose in the box but they're in good shape they have a nice feel to them they um, feel like a sturdy playing card. You know, they're um, plastic coated. There's no texture that I can tell, or if there is, it's a very light texture. The cards are, I'm flipping through them now. They're not randomized, but they're kind of oddly not not randomized, if that makes sense. Um, it looks like the numbers and the suit and the. Um, they're coming in pairs, but the suits are all randomized, so that's interesting. Uh, in the top left corner of each card is the card marking, so like King of Diamonds or Two of Clubs. In the middle of the card is a drawing of a dungeon. Oh, I should, let me step back. The back of the card is that kind of greenish beige taupe color. Um, that's the deck box with that logo, the dungeon door and Axe Bane's deck of mini dungeons. Uh, it looks nice. And then on the front of the card, um, the background is a mottled gray color. It's supposed to look like stone, and I suppose it kind of does. Um, as I said, you got the suit and the, and the value in the upper left-hand corner only, not in the bottom right. These cards definitely have an upside and no doubt, you know, they're, they have an orientation. That's what I meant to say. Um, so in the middle of the card is a drawing of a dungeon room or hallway or both. Um, sometimes it's a couple rooms. There are items in the rooms drawn, like beds and barrels, and uh, um, you know you can see doors and doors with locks are marked. Um, sometimes there's bone piles. Uh, here's one with some uh, gold in it. Um, and there's often a hallway running off the side of the card. Well, almost always, maybe always actually. Uh, obviously, so you can connect the cards. Uh, quite often, there's a table on the card as well. For um, a die roll, uh, here's monsters, D6 plus PCs level. Um, here's one that says hallway, D10, um, and it's just got things that you find in the hallway, like uh, moldy cheese or dagger or dried blood or a dead rat. Um, and it all, this card also has D6 smells, um, excrement, lamp oil, sulfur. Uh, okay, so monsters and smells, and here's one that uh, uh, the kings look like they all have quest goals on them. Uh, and the, this quest goal says, uh, well, it just says quest goal or stairs down to the next level. Um, let's see. Okay, here's one that has the aces have quest ideas on them. Um, so this one has D8 plus PCs level quest ideas. Uh, let's say we're a level two and we rolled a four. That would give us a six. Rumors of 200 gold pieces on dungeon level two. Hmm. <laughs> okay. 
Um, save the family member of a PC. Slay a small group of evil NPCs. Kill or delay a powerful monster. Stop cultists from summoning demons. Those are some of the other quest ideas on this ace card. Uh, oh, yeah. Well, uh, oh, here's one that's just... Uh, no, that's quest ideas. Here's, here's one that has treasure. Um, so, again, D8 plus dungeon level on this one. That's interesting. Um, so... If we rolled a 4 and the dungeon level was a 3, that'd give us a 7, which is 1d8 times 10 gold pieces plus a magic scroll. Yeah, so these are pretty cool. Um, it says it has 54 cards because two of the cards are jokers. And one of the jokers, the red one, has a table for NPCs and a table for quest items. So, let's see, the NPT, M NPC table has four columns... Um, a female name, a male first name, a surname, and a class. So let's make a female NPC, and that means we roll a D10 three times, and I'm just going to pick three, seven, and one. So three is Jocelyn, uh, seven, Milburn. So Jocelyn Milburn, who is a fighter. Uh, the, the classes, by the way, are fighter, rogue, bard, wizard, cleric, druid, paladin, ranger, warlock, and monk. Um, and let's see, the item we're questing for, or, uh, yeah, uh, is uh, to roll a d6 four times, so one, six, three, three. Um, weapon, magical, uh, made by dwarves, worth 200 gold pieces. So a magical weapon made by dwarves. Uh, yeah, okay. Um, and then on the other joker, we have the instructions. So um, we got four numbers here, uh, four steps. Step one, remove the ace, king, and joker cards from the deck. For a smaller dungeon, also remove the jack and queen cards, then shuffle. Two, randomly select one of the ace cards to begin the dungeon layout. So the ace cards are the starting rooms, and as you recall, those are the ones that have quest ideas on them. Uh, number three, draw a card from the deck and place it in the layout. If there is no valuable, no valuable. <laughs> if there is no valid position for it, place it on the bottom of the deck and draw again. So you pull a card, you lay down a card. Um, if there's no good place to put the card, you put it back and draw another one. All right, I wonder how often that happens. Uh, number four, once the layout is complete, no unconnected hallways, choose one card in the layout and replace it with a king card of your choice to finish the current dungeon level or current quest. Okay, so that makes your map. Um, so it's not a game that you, it's not not built on, I mean, you could play a solo adventure through it, but it doesn't give you rules to do that. Uh, I'm going to try it out tonight and, you know, at the kitchen table, see how it goes. Maybe I'll even podcast it as I do it. Um, if not, I'll do a little summary afterwards. But uh, overall, yeah, pretty cool. I, I have a different deck, and I'll uh, have to go, um, I'll have to be at home to find that, but I'll find it and compare them tonight. A different deck of, of cards with dungeon rooms on them, but somehow this one seems more useful than the other one I have. Uh, it's just got a lot more on it. It's got some really cool stuff. I can't wait to see what kind of dungeon it makes when you spread these out. Alright, I've had the chance to try out Axe Bane's deck of mini dungeons, and I'm going to give you my impressions. First of all, um, there is an expansion for this that I did not know about when I ordered it the first time, so if you go to order this from the Game Crafters, 
Um, they're not very good at signaling, you know, what else the creator has done. It was down on the page. I just didn't see it, but, um, not something that jumps right out at you. And the expansion was just a few bucks. It would have been something that I would have ordered right away. The total cost of the deck and the expansion is about $20, just to give you an idea. And um, I watched an online review. There's a couple different good YouTube reviews of this deck, um, all positive. And um, one of the persons that ordered the expansion noted that it doesn't fit in the original tuck box. So you'll need uh, a deck box for like Magic the Gathering, like one of those plastic boxes to hold them all once you get the expansion. The typical level build on one of these is about four to seven cards, meaning once you lay down a card to start the dungeon um, and start flipping cards until you've sealed up all the passageways and uh, there's no open-ended cards, you're going to be as little as four cards and as much as seven or even eight or nine cards typically. But I find that the average runs like four to six or four to seven uh, is the most typical. Now, that's not four to seven rooms because some of the cards have multiple rooms on them. So I don't know, maybe add um, another 50% or 30% to that and think that uh, probably in terms of five to 10 rooms per level. And when you set the king down to finish off a level, that can be stairs down to another level. So you don't have to um, end the dungeon right there. That It could be the, the goal of the quest or it could be the stairs down. Now, I think it bears saying right here that the deck advertises itself as a generator, a dungeon generator for GMs. And I think it does that pretty admirably. I tried to test it as a solo play tool, and so that's not really what it was intended for. So when I say that it needs a few more rules to be a good dungeon generator for solo play, um, that's not a criticism. That's just saying if you want to take it and use it for another another thing other than just generating dungeons as a GM, you might have to add a little bit of your own creativity to it. Um, my first attempt with playing it solo, I used randomly generated black hat characters, Sibley the Warrior and Clover the Thief, two female characters. I thought they made a nice pair. Um, I came up with a rule for torches so that um, it took one torch unit per card. And I say unit because the black hack uses the usage die. So every time I moved from one card to another, I tested my torches to see if they depleted. Uh, and um, I would add another test every time I ran into a trap, a treasure, or an encounter, assuming that those also took time. There are a number of empty rooms shown on the cards and listening at doors. I tried it at first and it just seemed kind of pointless because I knew nothing was on the other side. So I think to play it further, I'd want a little bit of a mechanism. I probably just needed to be rolling wandering monsters. Uh, it just didn't occur to me at the time. So, uh, you know, that's something I need to work on. Some of the doors are locked. And so that's pretty clear. Um, searching for secret doors and traps. I didn't bother uh, proactively searching I just assumed that they were searching and I would roll when a card came up with a secret door, I would roll to see if they detected the secret door. Um, and if a card rolled up with a trap or a card flipped up that had a trap on it, I rolled to see what the trap was. And then I would, um, in the black hack, the, the, the ability of thieves is to avoid damage from traps and things like that. So basically if the trap sprung, I assumed the thief was, uh, in the lead tapping the floors and gave the thief, uh, a, a, DS, uh, dexterity save with advantage to try to jump out of the way of the trap. So that's how I handled it. Uh, it worked pretty well. 
It was a fun little mental exercise, but I haven't really synced up with the deck yet as a solo play experience. Like I said, it needs a few more rules and I need to kind of work out a system. So if I do work out a good system, I'll certainly post that online and tell you all about it. As a dungeon generator, pretty cool. Pretty cool. It definitely gives you kind of a, um, uh, even a little more than bare bones approach to generating a dungeon. Uh, not quite enough to actually make a, an interesting adventure other than if you just want to crawl and kill stuff and take treasure. Okay. You know, um, especially over as like a lunchtime game or something like that. I think it'd be perfect. Uh, that's why I really want to develop it as a solo game because that's something I think I could set and do, uh, when I, ho when I'm in a hotel room, when I'm traveling or, you know, wherever I would have a tabletop and, uh, maybe 15 minutes of free time. Uh, as a review, let me just say this, I would buy it again. So um, knowing what I know about it now, I don't regret spending the money on it. I immediately turned around and ordered the expansion and um, I would recommend it. So for 20 bucks, totally worth it. And I might do a follow-up cast as I come up with different ideas on how to use it or note some things about it. One thing I did not like about it was that I felt it had a little too much nothing happens uh, built into it. Now, again, as a generator of a dungeon for a GM, you want some empty rooms, and so maybe that's fine, but uh, especially at low levels, because a lot of times you add the, your your PC level to the die roll, um, you'll get a room with a monster in it after flipping up, you know, maybe three cards, and so finally you hit a room with a monster in it, and then you roll, and there is no monster. Or you hit a room with a trap, and you roll, and there is no trap. And that's somehow just kind of disappointing. I feel like you already have nothing happens in terms of monsters or treasures by flipping up cards that don't have those tables on them. So when you do have one that has a monster table on it, I at least want some giant centipedes or something at low levels. Uh, and again, easy enough to add that to it, right? I just, uh, that's a mild criticism of the deck. Overall, very cool. Um, I hope the creator, and I uh, don't remember the name, but I said it in the first segment here. So I hope the creator does more, adds, keeps adding to the deck. I'd like to see a caverns version. That would be really cool. Um, I'm anxious to see what the expansion looks like. I forget what it's called, but it has something to do with uh, Ruined Hall of the Elves or something like that. So um, yeah, yeah, pretty cool. Um, you should check it out. X, X Bane's Deck of Mini Dungeons. That's it for today. I'm trying to keep these short and punchy. Um, I am Ray Otis signing off. This has been another Plunder Grounds. My opening theme music is by Logan Howard of the excellent Swordbreaker podcast and zine. We got call-ins from Colin Spike Pit Green of the awesome Spike Pit podcast and Rob C of the Down in a Heap podcast and uh, from Darren Green, who doesn't have a podcast, but maybe should. I'd like to hear him talk about board games, actually, because I know he's kind of a board game fan, um, and maybe what it's like to be at Spike Pitt's table, and he could give his brother some grief. <laughs> um, actually, what you know what I'd really like to hear is more um, Darren and... and um, Colin had a brother's podcast before where they talked about board games. I want to hear some more of that. I want to hear you guys team up some more. As always, you can find links to all my stuff at www.rayotis.com. That's R-A-Y-O-T-U-S. You can also email me, uh, rayotis at gmail.com. And until next time, look out for Rust Monsters. Hey, I almost forgot to plug Alex Schroeder's Halberds and Helmets. I've been listening to that podcast for some time, and I've always enjoyed it. But recently, I've uh, taken up a lot more walking for exercise, especially early in the morning, and I revisited all of his podcasts to date. 
just have really enjoyed his thoughts on, I won't say fixing, but uh, modifying original Dungeons & Dragons to taste, right? So if you want to hear some cool thoughts on how you might vary up uh, the system, the original Dungeons & Dragons system, into something a bit more... I don't know, friendly to modern players. I highly recommend Alex Schroeder's Halberds and Helmets podcast. There's a Helmets and Halberds. One of those two. Google Halberds. I mean, how many podcasts have that in their title? (laughs) Can't be too many.